Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Great to see you. Great to see everybody. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can find 1 John. If you don't have your Bible, uh, you can find it somehow, I'm sure. Um, last week, uh, Fred uh, gave us a great kind of realistic uh, view of, of sin and the reality of sin and the even more beautiful reality of Jesus and his grace and what he's done for us in that. And so uh, this week we're going we're gonna to keep going. We're going to pick up in chapter 2, uh, verse 3. Um, and uh, as, as we get into it, let me, let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll jump into the, the message for today. Jesus, thank you for how good you are to us. Uh, give us eyes to see what you see. Uh, open our minds uh, to receive what you have for us. Open our ears to hear what you're saying to us and open our hearts uh, to love you more and, um, and to love you more as we're here and we leave than when we uh, did when we came in this morning. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Have you ever wondered what someone thought about you and it kind of drove you crazy? Can anyone relate to that? Like maybe it's someone that like is a little further down the road than you. Maybe they're like in a profession you want to be in or they kind of have a life that from at least the outside looks like the kind of life you'd want to have and, and you're like wondering how you think they're or how they think you're doing right now or whether they approve of you. Or maybe you like are dating someone and you meet your potential future in-law and you're like, all right, where do I stand with this guy? Or where do I stand with this lady? Anybody, has anyone felt that? You gotta talk to me this morning. Anybody felt that before? What about you go in for an interview and you walk out and you, you're like, I have no idea which way that went. I, like, I'm so curious what they think about me. Uh, I, can, I can remember uh, whenever Anna and I first started dating and we grew up in a very small rural area where like high school football was king and I had really long hair and played soccer and was in theater. <laughs> and so meeting her family for the first few times was interesting. And I left just very curious, like, I have no idea where I stand with these people. Until the next year, I kicked for the football team and made a tackle. And then they all knew my first name at that point. <laughs> Before then, I was just that Sutton boy. But then, of course, like dating Anna, like I was curious, like the whole thing of dating, you're like in that weird space where you're like, I, th I mean, they're still going on dates with me, but like what's going on underneath the surface, whatever. 15 years later, that's kind of gone away. I'm pretty sure she likes me. When you get a mortgage and some kids together, you're like, I think we're in. Like, I think this is going to work out. But has anybody ever wondered or caught yourself curious where you stand with God? Like, have you ever caught yourself in those seasons? Maybe it's like a particularly dry season in your prayer life, and you're kind of curious, like, does God want to hear me? Or does he want to hear from me? Or maybe you got some big decisions coming up in life, and, and you're, you're wanting some guidance, and you're asking him, and you're just wondering, like, I wonder if he really cares about this or not for me. Like, like maybe you know in your brain, and you can say that you know God loves you, but most of your knee-jerk reactions in life show more fear and worry and maybe a place wondering if you are loved than that you are certainly loved by God. Like maybe you feel like you're like constantly picking a proverbial daisy in prayer and in scripture wondering like, well, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves you not. And 
those seasons, I think all of us have been in a season, whatever you call it, doubt, dryness, quiet, silence from God, whatever, what the, the old like church fathers called it the dark night of the soul where no matter what you're doing, you just can't quite seem to hear God or feel God or something. And, and 1 John, especially this passage, is, is hopefully going to encourage us today to, to hopefully move us out of that and help us understand that God really does love us. In, in, his, in his commentary on 1 John, there's a great pastor and theologian named John Stott, and he wrote in his letter that, that John wrote this to give us, to give all believers a fresh certainty about Jesus and eternal life. And then he says there are essentially three tests where, where we can know where we stand with Jesus. And I want to be careful, a test doesn't mean like a pass or fail. It, it's like one of those things, have you ever uh, heard or maybe you've done one of those like DNA tests? You know, where you like spit in a vial and send it off and then they send it back and they tell you like your lineage and all that stuff and you kind of, they kind of give you like, hey, here's like certain diets you should avoid or go on or exercise. Anybody, anybody done one of those before or know someone who's done one of those? When it says this, the tests of where we stand with Jesus, it's less a test of pass and fail and it's more assurance that our DNA as children of God is his holiness. Like the test of, of where we stand with Jesus is like doing that. But instead of sending off like physical parts of us, we are coming to scripture and we're opening our minds and hearts to what the Holy Spirit has to say, who we are in Jesus. And so some of the two questions that we're gonna look at today to hopefully kind of test us and see where we are, where we stand with God and remind us of his goodness, the two questions are, do I obey Jesus and do I love like Jesus? And you may say, Matt, you just said this is not a pass or fail thing. Those sound like pass or fail questions. Okay, we're going to get into that a little bit uh, because they're, they're what John Stock calls the moral test. Do I obey Jesus? Do I do moral things like Jesus tells me to do? Do I obey him? And then do I love like him? The social test. But like I said, this is not a test where we receive a grade, but it's like one of those DNA tests where our DNA... We are children of God made into new creation by his spirit. And we are able to live a life with him now and forever. That's whenever the word eternal life comes up. It's not something that happens after death. It's something we get to live in now and then forever with him because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection. So the questions I ask today just help us give a better understanding on if we are taking advantage of the new DNA that God has put in us by his Holy Spirit. And so here's what we're going to look at. Those, we're going to look at the passage, verses 3 through 17, and we're going to kind of ask those questions. Do I obey Jesus, and do I love like Jesus loves? And I'm hoping to go into it encouraging us today instead of, instead of piling on maybe even more guilt and shame by thinking we live in this kind of pass-fail relationship with God. So the first question is, do I obey? Do I obey Jesus? It's important to ask that question because on his Sermon on the Mount, so Jesus, it's like, it's like Jesus standing up as the king, giving his inauguration speech, ushering in his kingdom on earth, the Sermon on the Mount. He gives it, and then at the end of it, he says this. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is a wise man. And we know the, the illustration from there, right? The wise man, he builds his house on a rock. And when the storm and waves come, it doesn't knock the house down. But whoever hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice 
is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. When the storm and winds came, his house fell. But I love the word when he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Now, some of your translations, as we're looking at verses three through six, may say something like this. It may say, and by this, okay, so here's like kind of a a test to know, am I taking advantage of the life that God is offering me through Jesus and his Holy Spirit? It says, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Your translation may say obey. I think keep is kind of the better, the kind of better word to look at. It's the Greek word tereo. And that, that word, it literally means to like have concern for, to, to, to care about, to try to keep. And it's almost like a nurturing word more than it is either yes or no obedience. And, and here's why this is important. To, uh, and I, I like the, the, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus uses that same word and, and it translates, puts them into practice, the words of Jesus. Puts them into practice. Because obedience is about trying. You try really hard and you either do or you don't. It's, it is a pass-fail. But I like putting into practice because that's training. Trying leaves room for failure Training leads to growth. How many of us right now, if I said, okay, uh, we, we had this like amazing donation come in, somebody blessed our church with like $10,000, and uh, the only way you can get it is if right after church today you run a marathon without stopping. How many of us would try for $10,000? Yeah. How many of us would be able to do it for $10,000 right now today, 26.2 miles. I love the competitive nature of some of us in here. You can't, you wouldn't do it, okay? You wouldn't be able to do it. I love you so much to tell you the truth and you would not be able to do it. But what if it changed? And I said, all right, the way to get $10,000 is to run the marathon in one year from today. How different would that change things? Because what would you start doing the moment you left church today? You start training. Right? You would train, you train. Some days you, you, the run would be terrible and the next day it wouldn't be so bad and then one day your kid would keep you up all night and you wouldn't feel like training the next day and then you go train anyways and you end up getting injured. And the, <laughs> but trying to run a marathon without training will make you never want to run again. But with proper training, you, you keep at it. You give it a good go and you feel progress. You can work towards the goal. And the reason it's important to clarify those terms is because the words and phrases that we're going to read today are going to make us feel like a pass-fail test. And that's how God views us. And I just want to remind us over and over, it's not. The life of obedience, a life of love, a life of following Jesus is about training to become like him and not a pass-fail test where, where God's kind of standing up with like a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And every time you make a decision or every time you do something, you get one of those. Because you are loved. Our baseline identity, according to John, is if to skip ahead a little bit, at the beginning of chapter three, he says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. Not that we've earned not that we achieve, not that if we do the right stuff, we feel and, and we accept and we get it at that, that point. But he has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. See, it's a, our DNA test is that we are children of God no matter what. 
See, but when we try to earn that, we are going to fail at some point. But if we can practice the words of Jesus, if we can train in the way of Jesus, we grow and progress. Fred says it all the time, and it's, it's, it's like every time I hear it, it's like a new thing. He, he says, uh, our walk with Jesus is better measured in years and not in days. It's, it's, it's way better that way. So maybe a way to rephrase this that might be helpful is do you want to obey Jesus? Like I said, that word keep or to obey, it can mean to attend carefully to. It means that you have some desire to make sure that Jesus is growing in you his character and his person. And, and, and the question is at that point, okay, if it's trying and not, if it's training and not trying and, and we don't obey, we don't get it perfect, how is it then obeying him in assurance of, a, of our love for him? Because if we want to obey Jesus, it helps us understand that if it's this consistent training, if it's accepting what he's already done for us, that he's atoned for our sins and he's made us new and we live into that reality, it helps us understand that the proof of love is loyalty. The proof of love is loyalty. Look, it says, it says, uh, whoever says in verse four, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, whoever carefully attends and wants to obey Jesus, in him, the truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That verse 5 uh, could easily be translated, whoever cares for his word, whoever carefully attends to obey Jesus God's or love for God is perfected in him. Remember, Jesus said in, in John chapter 14, if anyone loves me, he will keep, there's that word again, he will carefully attend to my word and my father will love him and he will come and make our home with him. It's that, it's that same word. If we love Jesus, if we're taking in the words of Jesus and seeking to apply them to our lives, training in the way that Jesus has told us to love and to live. If, if we have concern for his teaching, his way of life, man, it, it just proves himself to be true and good over and over. And we find ourselves finding faithfulness to God and to his people easier because as, as we continue coming to him, we find ourselves dying to self and living for him. And what could prove more loyalty for someone than, than dying for them, right? As Jesus comes and, and, and dies for us, it's, it says that God proves his love for us that while we were still sinners, he sent Jesus to die for us. And Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they must die to themselves daily. See, the proof of love is loyalty. And we know this is true just even practically, right? Like how many people feel loved when you're betrayed by someone who's supposed to love you? In a way, you could say betrayal is the opposite of love in many instances. But the proof of love is loyalty. And just like Jesus said there and just like John said, we prove our love by our loyalty to God, not just to anything. Because later, a few verses later, verses 15 through 17, John kind of gives the opposite. He kind of bookends this section with another thought. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. That, that's kind of like 
the, the word world there, if you're wondering, that's kind of like any, anything that we come into in life that is actively working against God's kingdom being established on earth. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Because we read earlier, how can it be? If you're loyal to something other than God and disloyal to God, you're not proving your love. You can't grow in love towards something if you're not loyal to it or towards it. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Abides forever. Like, do you know what you get if you love money? Money. Like, you'll probably get it if you work hard enough for it. And then, when life ends, what do you get? Not more money, right? Jesus said that if we love him and we keep his word, we will experience the Father's love and presence, he said, because then our Father will come and make our home with them. Like, going back to our DNA and our tests, do we obey Jesus? Like, do you know what would happen if you came into my house and tried to take my kids out of my house? This may surprise you. I'm not a fighter, okay? I, I'm not good at fighting. I've never been good at fighting, okay? I don't even like fighting that much. But try taking one of my kids from me, and like, you might see a real tall, skinny guy coming at you real fast, all right? <laughs> the closest I've ever, got, I've ever been to getting in an actual like, fight in public has been when my kid's safety has been threatened. So like, what do you think is gonna happen if we are loving God, if we are his children, we're carefully attending to the words of Jesus and trying to obey them? We're, we're gonna fail, you're gonna mess up, but it's training, it's not trying. We're working towards becoming like Jesus. And then some, some loyalty sneaks into our hearts towards something other, from, other than God. Like God's not going to let that happen. Is anyone in a growth group and reading that Tim Keller book right now? It is just brutal. Like, it is just gnarly. It, like, if, if I didn't get an amen there, y'all are not reading it. Thank you. Like, it is just, it is just tough. But, but that's the thing. God cares so much. He's looking at us as his children and saying, I've given you everything you need. I've given you my presence. I've given you my very spirit. Just live into that reality. Man, have concern, grow into it, care into it, because if we start giving our loyalty, the proof of our love to something else, do you know what we get in return from those things? Nothing. Nothing. Later on in the book, unless you read ahead in the growth group schedule and you're not there yet, Tim Keller said something to the along, along the line of, of idols want everything from you and promise to give you everything in return, but in reality they give you nothing in return and they take everything from you. See, see, Paul said it like this, if we sow into the flesh, so if we give our loyalty towards those things uh, John just said, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, if we have work and train and prove ourselves loyal to those things, here's what he says, if we sow into the flesh, we reap the benefits of the flesh, which is death. You get nothing in return for it. No life in return. But if we sow into the Spirit, 
we reap those benefits, which is life and peace. I don't know if anyone that I've met has ever said, man, I've just got too much peace in my life right now. I'm just getting along with everybody too well. Well, actually, I do know some people that are like, I've been getting along with people too well. I need to start some drama. But they got no judgment, but you got some work to do. But I'm just saying, like, like, John's writing this to get us to ask that question, like, what's in there? Like, what's in your heart? What, what, what area of your life are you showing too much loyalty to that you need to give up? Man, in the Old Testament, they'd say the kings, they say, but they didn't take down the high places where the people of God would show their loyalty to other idols and deities by, by actually worshiping them. We're not setting up shrines, in our, hopefully, in our house of like gods that we're worshiping, but we are in our hearts letting little things take root that we love and we show our loyalty to that's trying to pull us away from Jesus. Like, like we end up oftentimes, like we, we love whatever, our jobs, and we become workaholics, slaves to our jobs because we prove ourselves loyal. Man, for, for some of us, we just need to ask that question, like what's, what am I proving myself loyal to? What is it that I'm showing that care and attendance for in my life? Because if we become what we love, then in small incremental ways, we'll, be, we'll see ourselves becoming that very thing. So then there's the second question. First one is, do I obey Jesus? The second one is, do I love like Jesus loved? Look at verses 7 through 11. He said, Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. So that's kind of the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, things like that. But at the same time, it is a new commandment because that I'm writing to you because it's true in him because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother is actually still in darkness. But whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Like I said, the, the, old, the old commandment he's talking about, it's the Old Testament, it's the law. Uh, but, there, but there's also not really a new commandment, and he kind of gets into this in, in, in verses 8 and 9, is that, that uh, Jesus, when he was on earth, specifically in John chapter 13, he taught uh, that everyone will know that we are his disciples by the love that we have for one another. Right. So it's not really that Jesus was teaching anything necessarily new. Right? It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So that wasn't anything new, but he just, Jesus just came to bring deeper meaning to it. Right? Like, like he showed that, it, that the love that we have for one another uh, has to cross like ethnic and religious and socioeconomic and racial lines when he taught the lesson of the Good Samaritan, the love for your neighbor. He also showed that it's the thing on which the entire Law and prophets hang from, is what he said, is on love. He also defined a quality of love that is, supposed to not, uh, that is supposed to be not just loving someone the way we love ourselves, but in the way that Jesus loves, which means you're willing to die sacrificially for them. So if that's the standard, if that's the quality of love that we as Christians are supposed to show, do we love like Jesus loved? But we see here how John is encouraging 
us to love. Because he says the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And that's why it's a new commandment. Because in, anyone who read this, if they, if they were a Jew, they would have read this and they would have had very clear distinctions of darkness and light. Like, like darkness was the time when the, as they were anticipating the coming of the Messiah and God establishing his kingdom on earth. Right, so, so that's why like around Christmas time, the Advent is so fun because that, we kind of join God's people in this ancient longing for the coming of Jesus. To, uh, and and, and we, feel, we hopefully like let ourselves feel that reality. But we know that Jesus came, so the true light has come and it, and it fulfills, that, that concept fulfills all kinds of promises. All the way back to Genesis is like your children shining as stars in the sky to Isaiah 49 where it talks about the Messiah, God's Messiah coming and, and finally fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant where it's a blessing to all people and a light to all nations. But, but with that context, knowing that, that clear distinction of darkness being without Jesus, light being now that Jesus has come, Verses 9 and 10 make a little bit more sense because we know that Jesus, what he taught, what he requires of us as his followers, the way he has given us eyes through his spirit to see the people the way he sees them. But if then we refuse to love them, we are still living as if Jesus has not come. Right? Which begs the question, based on that, how does that mean and it, and it gets us to test that DNA question again. Am I, am I loving the way Jesus loved? Is the way that I interact with my neighbors, with my coworkers, with my families and friends, would they know that Jesus has come or not based on how I love them? Are we loving them and are we treating them in, in a way that's darkness where Jesus has not come and the reality of what he's done is not true or in light? That's the language that John, that sounds intense, but that's the, that's the language John is using here. That's the connection with that darkness and light. Corey Ten Boon, uh, Boom was a, a Dutch woman whose family in the midst of World War II and the rise of uh, the, the Nazi party uh, did a lot of work to protect Jews uh, during that, uh, the Holocaust. Uh, her family was ultimately betrayed by some people close to them. They were arrested and they were sent to concentration camps. Uh, she survived while her sister and her father and some other, other family members uh, died in concentration camps. And after the war, uh, she went and she spoke about how Jesus uh, worked in her life while, while she was in a concentration camp. She's an amazing writer. If you've never read any of her stuff, it, it's amazing. And you can hear some of her uh, sermons and speeches online. But, but after, the, after the war, she, she went around and would speak at churches and, and go and, and preach the gospel. And uh, here's what she wrote in one of her books that she experienced. She said, it was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, a former SS officer who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly, it was all there. She had a flashback. A room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, my sister Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, 
And he was beaming, and he bowed and said, How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said, to think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, so this is Corey Ten Boom writing, I, who had preached so often to the people that they need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man, and was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand, and I couldn't do it. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I prayed, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for the stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with that command, the love itself. If anyone had reason to hate someone, it was her. But she refused in that moment to live her life in any reality other than the light that Jesus had come and did what he said he was going to do. And she was able to love this man who watched her strip naked and take a shower as she entered the concentration camp. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, which we've already established as a metaphor John is using for Jesus. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. Does that mean that like if you are not loving towards someone, that you're mean and unloving and that you can lose your salvation? No, it doesn't. But it does mean that darkness distorts our perception. If love is the way we prove ourselves loyal to Jesus and the life that he's given us, then the refusal to love, to hate someone, is the way that we act like we haven't met Jesus before. We have eyes that can't see. We're, we're going back into blindness. Here's how this happened for me just this morning. Uh, I was driving in, and uh, on Sunday mornings when I'm driving into church, I pray for all of us here today. I pray for y'all, and I pray for me, and I pray uh, for all my friends. My, my dad's a pastor, so I pray for him. I pray for all my friends that I know and local pastors that I know or that are getting up to, to do their job this morning. Um, but there's someone that I, I know um, from a previous ministry time, and I found myself I could not pray for them to have a good Sunday. I actually prayed that no one would show up and that it would crush them into humility before Jesus. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I am a sinner. Um, and it hit me like a ton of bricks because I was refusing to love them. One, I was projecting on them because that would crush my poor little ego more than anything if that happened to me. And I assumed that that would be the worst thing to happen for them. Uh, but then also I knew what, I, what, what John said is required of us, loving others. And I wasn't able to pray that Jesus would give that man a fresh touch of his mercy 
and grace this morning because I wanted to be better than them. Uh, my perspective had been darkened of not being able to see them in the light of who Jesus is and how he's working. And so I had to repent and I had to pray for him and I, and I could resonate with Corey Ten Boom's, I mean, a little bit. It's like such a like, simple way. But I resonated with as I prayed for Jesus to give me forgiveness, to give me his forgiveness and love. I felt that. And so I just would ask you with this one. Do you love like Jesus loved? Or can you at least seek Jesus in his light and live your life in a way to where what he has done and the reality of his presence is true? And so for a con- con- uh, conclusion today, I want to look at what may seem like a little odd, out of place, kind of few verses here, verses 12 through 14. Uh, but I think, I think it's important because I think John is writing in this moment uh, kind of to the whole church at large. He's kind of looking and he's, and he's looking at when he talks about, uh, he'll say little children or fathers or young men. And I think he's kind of looking at the church and kind of letting everybody kind of see where they are in, in their life of faith. So it doesn't have to do with age as much as it does with that reality of being able to live in the light of who Jesus is and what he's done. So, so let me read these for us and then I've got just a few just kind of conclusion, kind of action steps as we walk out today. So verse 12, he says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So when he addresses G, uh, children, I think he's reminding us that some of us, maybe you're in a season of your walk with Jesus where you just need to go back to, the rea- to just the basic gospel of Jesus. Like the, the basic reality of who Jesus is. A good one for that, I go to 1 Corinthians 15 and we'll look there. Because he says, he just says very clearly, that for you... Uh, verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15, uh, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. This is, the, this is the gospel in a nutshell, that Jesus died for our sins according with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the scriptures, and then he appeared to a bunch of people, and then he appeared to me. And that's for those of us, maybe you just need to be reminded that Jesus came and that he, he fulfilled all of the scriptures in his death and his resurrection. And that he has appeared to you and given you that life. I think, I think just, just going through a season of that, reminding yourselves of the good news of Jesus. It's just the way like we humans, when we're little, we need those nutrients and those basic kind of, kind of functions to, to grow well. And there are some of us that we need a healthier portion of just that basic gospel of Jesus Christ. And then there are some of us, it says the young men, there are some of us, maybe we're in our walk with Jesus and maybe just stage of life where we just got stuff we need to take care of and you just need to be reminded like, hey, you've been given the strength through God to to take care of things. Like, Like it says, like, we can't grow weary in fighting the battle of sin in our bodies. Like we can't let that win. We have mouths to feed, we got jobs to work, houses to clean, budgets to stress out over, all while figuring out how to live like Jesus would. If you're at that stage in life where you're like, man, I don't know how to love people because my life is hard. 
Let me just read those again. Hey, young men, you have overcome the evil one. If you're feeling yourself in that stage of life, because of what Jesus has done by defeating the powers of darkness on the cross, you have overcome the evil one. You are strong. The word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Maybe it's just taking those verses, writing them on an index card or a sticky note and replacing you with me. Man, the word of God abides in me. I am strong because of, because of what God has done for me. And then, and then there's, there's fathers, the elders of the church, not necessarily by age, but a lot of times age and, and spiritual maturity go hand in hand. We need you to keep the nursery. I don't mean like actual keep the nursery. I've done my shameless plugs for kids ministry before. I think we're good on volunteers right now. We'll check back at the end of the summer. But notice how he writes the same thing to the parents of the church. He says, you know him who is from the beginning. There, there are some of y'all who have an experience and an intimacy and an ability to walk with Jesus and hear from Jesus to where like you're not bad. You don't feel like you're battling the evil one anymore. You're like, man, I feel like I have a mellowness of heart that y'all, y'all young ones could learn. Please, like please, like we're begging you to, to get involved and come mentor us to pour into our lives. And, and there's some, mentoring moms is a great way to do that. Like, like if they're, like some of you ladies have, have raised kids and they're off doing their things and you have time with Jesus and you carry a spiritual weight that Paul calls the aroma of Christ in 1 Corinthians, like you need to come and give that to those of us who are in those other stages of life. For men, uh, at March 2nd, we'll start announcing it sooner and everything, but March 2nd, we're having a men's breakfast. That's men of any age to come, just, just to sit at a table, eat food together, and just, just like get to know men of these different stages of life following Jesus. And then if you're like, hey, I'm not a mom, and I'm also not a man, what do I have? Email us. I don't, we'll figure it out. We'll make something happen, or you can make something happen. That sounds like God just put something on your heart to lead a ministry here. Uh, that'd be great. But I would just encourage you, as, as we look through today, as we think through the passage, find yourself in that stage of, of your walk with Jesus. And, and it's not linear. It's not always up into the right growth, but it's more like a map and a journey. And maybe you just need that healthier dose of confidence that you have defeated the evil one, and, and you need to stay strong right now. Or, or maybe it's, it's you just need that that constant reminder that your sins are forgiven, that Jesus has done this for you, that you are in Christ. Or maybe you're at that point, the, the, the parents of the faith, and it's time for you not to, kind of, not to kind of like fade into the background, but it's time for you to lean into us and, and to love us well. So let me pray for us today. We're going to worship Jesus, and then we'll go eat lunch. Jesus, we love you. Thank you so much for all that you've done for us. Jesus, right now, um, in this space, we're all here, uh, different seasons of life, different things happening in our lives. Uh, We came in today with different levels of exhaustion, of anxiety, of loneliness, of of fear. Maybe we walked in feeling overwhelmed by life and just getting here was a miracle. But Jesus, you told us that we're two or more gathered in your name, that you're there with us. And so Jesus, as we ask ourselves those questions, do we obey you? Do we want to obey you? Do I love the way you loved? 
Jesus, help us not to feel shame and guilt for how we haven't done it, but help us to find encouragement and grace as we look to you and say, Father, help me. God, maybe as, as we were reading that story of Corey Ten Boom, there was someone in our mind that we know we need to forgive. So Jesus, give us your forgiveness so that we can forgive. Jesus, maybe today there's someone that you put on our minds that we work with, that's a family member, that's a neighbor, that's a friend who needs to just hear the, the basic reality that you came, that you died to pay the penalty for our sins and that you rose from the grave so that we can experience eternal life now on earth and then with you forever after this life. But Father, as we go out from this space, help us to love like you. Help us to live in the light and the reality that you have, came, you have come and changed everything. And in those moments of darkness, in those moments of doubt, in, in our moments that aren't our best, Jesus, remind us of your grace and your love so that we can live into and take advantage of the DNA that you've given us, which is God's holiness and righteousness in us. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.